0: I'm just going to make this the cold open, even though it's not a good cold open. We're talking about spoilers in this podcast, so if you haven't seen the movie yet, you've been warned. Ladies, gentlemen, and those with the good sense to do away with the whole notion, I welcome you to the premier audio medium for all your Fazbear Entertainment needs, the Freddy Fazbear Pizza Podcast. Note, FFPP is not responsible for any loss of appetite, disinterest, dismemberment, or other legally classified statuses. So strap in and enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Freddy Fazbear Pizza Podcast, your podcast for all your FNAF needs. I'm your host with the Toast Right Toast here, and I'm a little sleepy, a little eepy, an eepy little guy. Okay, so <laughs> a little bit of context. Uh, it's like 6 a.m. right now on the day this comes out. Um I had to record today because yesterday we were moving and we're still moving um as you can see we're I'm still in the same location even though we're technically moving um essentially this maybe Friday's video but most likely this podcast episode will be the last recorded um piece of the channel in this location um and let me tell you moving sucks Especially when you have two kids and a movie to the franchise you make content about comes out the same week. So we didn't want to move Halloween weekend, but due to extraneous circumstances, we, we kind of have to. I don't want to get too much into the details of my personal life, but w- the apartment we're living in, the uh, when the previous landlords renovated it, um, they did not put the subfloor in correctly, so the second and third floor, which comprises our apartment, um, all of the floorboards are just in different areas coming up. Like, imagine your typical old house uneven flooring, but then put, like, bad floorboards on top of it, so not only is it uneven, but the floorboards are, like separating or cracking in parts and like we've got a toddler who runs around barefoot you know like it's not safe so we're we talked to our landlord we're breaking lease and we're getting out of here um on the 31st like that's our move-in date for the new place is the 31st so our landlord was super cool and helped us get through this process and get our money back for the the uh the security deposit in the last month's rent and all that but uh, what the, what it really comes down to is we have to move uh, on our not our not only Halloween weekend but anniversary weekend and the weekend after the Fnaf movie. So this has just been a very busy week and not a very good one. Um, not to mention we were sick and you can probably hear to my voice I'm still a little sick. So it's just been a week and um, the the only time I've had to record a podcast for this week is right now at now six ten a.m. So. If, if I sound a little sleepy and I sound a little sick, that's why. Um, I'm probably also a little quiet, so if the mic is a little distorted, then uh, it's probably just because I had to put a lot of gain on it because I'm being very quiet. But I have to make the mic very quiet because I've, I've learned that I laugh very loud and it peaks if I don't have it at this volume. So uh, we're just going to deal with it. Um, I guess personal shit aside... Uh, let's go to today's topic. So, I I've been so conflicted over the past month, and I figured just for like a week or two, I'll just deal with it. Um, I had been really hesitant to do any content about the FNAF movie because the strikes are still ongoing. Um, the SAG and now the writers' strike has been resolved, and the writers won, thank God. But the SAG after strikes for the actors is still ongoing, and the studios are like, I think. One of the studios came out, like, three days ago, and they were like, if we don't resolve this within a week, we're not going to negotiate until January. And so, like, they're still bullying and prolonging this. So, the studios are just terrible, terrible, terrible. But... One of the things about the strike is you really shouldn't be promoting struck material. And although Blumhouse as a company and the company that's producing and directing and creating this FNAF movie, isn't considered a struck company universal, the company that's distributing it is. So I've been really hesitant to cover it, but I was talking to a lot of people and the general consensus was like, obviously all of us still support the strike, but this is like a movie that we've been waiting for for eight years. It's about the franchise that is literally my job and has become a huge part of my life. And I can still cover the movie without necessarily promoting Universal or uh, trying to subvert the strike in any way. So what I've been trying to do is, and as I hope it doesn't sound hollow while I continue to talk about the movie, but I still do wanna specify anytime that I am talking about the movie, which this podcast episode is gonna be about the movie, you know, it's gotta be. Um I do wanna say up front, like I fully support the actors, fully support SAG-AFTRA, and I hope these studios lose everything they're trying to fight against. And I want the actors to get everything they're due. So that being said, the FNAF movie came out. Um and I've last I checked, I think it's on par to it I think it's like on track. Estimates are saying for like a one hundred and thirty million dollar opening weekend, which is crazy considering that it released same day on Peacock. So that's insane. Um That being said, I, I wanted to kind of go over general thoughts about the movie, um, lore implications, lore of the movie, but also how that lore can possibly relate to the games. And the format on this one's going to be a little different, mainly because uh, typically I like to talk about the topic and then I'll move to questions. But the questions I picked for today are all about the movie. So I think I'm going to just talk at about the movie at length for however long I feel like. And whenever I get close to one of the questions that I could find in my email about the movie, then I'll bring up that question. And um, that way we can just talk about the movie for like 40 minutes. Uh, but speaking of, right up at the top, Uh, If you have any questions or theories you want reviewed on the podcast or potential collabs, you can reach out to Podcast at gmail.com. That email is also in the description because it's a pain to type. I recommend just copy pasting it. Um, But I guess we'll get right into it. I think I wanted to start talking about the movie by kind of just talking about how I felt like lore (coughs) side, lore side, franchise aside, how I feel about the movie itself and how's the quality of the movie itself. So I, I, I've, I'm of two minds with it, right? There's a part of me that's a FNAF fan and as a FNAF fan, I think the movie is a 10 out of 10. Like it gave us so many Easter eggs, everything we wanted, everything we didn't even know we wanted, like two Sparky references. That's crazy. Um, So like there's a lot of stuff like that, that I think for the, and they said it going into it, like they made this movie for the fans first and hopefully other people like it too, but it's primarily for the fans and watching this movie. I completely agree. This was a movie first and foremost, for the fans of the franchise, and I don't think that's a problem. I, as a Fnaf fan, this movie is a ten out of ten. It's more than I could have expected. It's everything I could have wanted out of a movie after waiting for like eight and a half years for this. Um, that being said, as a movie itself, separate from being a Fnaf movie, just a movie period, I'd probably, I, I would probably err on the side of like a seven out of ten. Um, like, and, and we'll go into it, but overall I liked it, you know, overall I thought it was a pretty, overall I thought it was a pretty solid movie. Um, I, I, I have a couple issues, um, but we'll start with, we'll do a compliment sandwich. We'll do some good, talk about all my issues and then we'll go back to doing good. So first off. Up front, one of the best things about this movie, I think the actors and the animatronics were all killer. And the soundtrack as well. So, like, I think every actor <clears throat> every actor on screen did a really solid job. Um, and then the animatronics themselves, not only did Jim Henson's Creature Shop knock out of the park the design of the animatronics, but they functioned so well in the movie. Like, the they were so expressive. Um, they felt very robotic in a very realistic way and they did a good job of being threatening when they needed to be and cautiously safe when they were trying to be not threatening i thought that was i thought that was really solid um so a bit of the bad i i think it's i think honestly i think the most the movie suffers from is it was cut down to 90 minutes i feel like if this movie was two or two and a half hours, it probably would have had a bit more time to make certain aspects of the story not feel as rushed. Because, and this is also, it's, I'm of two minds with this, because part of me understands that as a FNAF product, they want to keep parts of the story vague or ambiguous so people can do theories on it. But for a movie, I think what the silver eyes did well that the movie kind of fumbled was you can have this underlying mystery that has questions that still need answers, but still have a very cohesive feeling main story. And I don't think the movie quite achieved that. And I think that, I think it honestly will come down to if maybe on the DVD, there's like a director's cut or something that's like a bit longer to expand on some things that needed expanding on. Um, because at the end of the movie, I kind of sat there and I was like, okay, so I can see like where the mystery lies here. But if I think about just like the actual plot itself, there are still moments where I'm like, huh, that doesn't make any sense. I feel like I feel like there were parts that were left out to be revealed later on as part of you know the traditional FNAf mystery that for a casual movie experience, kind of makes you, leaves you feeling like, oh, I guess they just like forgot about that part which isn't a great feeling to have. And maybe, maybe that's just me. Um but well, I mean for example, a perfect example of this I think is William Afton's character. Now, again, this isn't a knock on the actors here. Um like Matthew Lillard did an amazing job and I cannot wait to see him do more. Um in the cuz I know there's uh rumors right now that FNAF 2 is in pre-production already. So, um I cannot wait to see more of him. But his character like without having the context of knowing like, Oh, he's William Afton. So there's all this additional context without that context. His character feels very out of place where we get to meet Steve Raglin and, you know, we get to see him a little bit in the very beginning of the movie. And then he doesn't really show up again until the very end as William Afton. And it, it almost doesn't feel earned. Um, like just speaking from a movie's perspective that, his introduction that late into the movie feels very sudden, very jarring and the way, and he talks as if we know everything about him. Whereas realistically as the audience, we know nothing about him. We just know like, Oh, he's a very bad man and he killed five kids and kidnapped Garrett. Like that's all we know. And then it's treated like we know like who this guy is and why. And I'm pretty sure it's probably because they want to reveal his story in the second and third movies, similar to the Silver Eyes, right? Where we just know, like, oh, this guy, Dave, is actually William Afton. He owned this restaurant and he killed a bunch of kids. Uh, he's a bad guy. And then but we in the Silver Eyes, right, we get to know him a lot more. And that's because he was there. He was on screen, you know? He was the security guard that they run into a couple times. He knows a weirdly um, large amount of stuff about the place. He was kind of like the Vanessa of um, the FNAF movie, but for the Silver Eyes. Um, and because of that, when it's revealed he's a villain, we know, and we see a lot more from him, than it's like, oh, okay. I kind of get what's going on now. Um, whereas in the movie because we had Vanessa and I think Vanessa's character was treated very well where there's still a mystery about her, but we know enough about her to like categorize her in our mind because she was there. William Afton wasn't. So William Afton feels still kind of out of place that I think either a director's cut or a second and third movie can alleviate. Um, And kind of a symptom of that, I I think, was it was very interesting and i I think we can actually move on to a question um that talks about this um it talks about the lore of it more more accurately but i want to bring up the line anyway for uh quality's sake um this question comes from pi he him thank you for your question in the fnaf movie a scene that i know confused people was the springlock scene where william afton yells i always come back while this is a cool scene, re- referencing one of the popular sayings in the franchise, it does seem out of place, since in the movie, this is the first time he's been defeated that we know of. Do you think there were any other times, perhaps why William Afton was in Nebraska, where he was defeated or almost caught in the movie universe that made him say this? A- and that's that's one of the things, right? Thank you for your question, Pi. I think because we know so little about William Afton's character, the things he does doesn't make a lot of sense late in, Right where we have this final confrontation. And some of the teasers work. Like when um, Vanessa stands up to him and he's like, put the gun down and help me fix the mess that you created. We don't know a lot about Vanessa and William Afton at this moment. But I can, as a viewer, I see that and I'm like, oh, okay. William blames Vanessa for either just this mess or maybe even the missing child incident. But it's very clear that this is why she's so afraid of him is because he's very good at manipulating her. So like that, I I see that I read that. I understand that very quickly, but then when he gets spring locked, he grabs it. He grabs the spring trap head or the spring bunny head. It goes to put it back on yells. I always come back and puts it on and dies or like gets fully spring locked at least. And it's moments like that where as a viewer, Who doesn't know any, like, I I imagine a viewer who doesn't know anything about the franchise sees that and they're like, that was kind of fucking weird. And that's it. Like, there was, it doesn't feel like, oh, hell yeah. It's just weird. Um, and going back to the Silver Eyes, and this is also a problem with the media, right? As a book, you have a lot more time to do things versus a movie. But in the book, it's established like, oh, yeah, William Afton feels a lot more comfortable wearing the Spring Bonnie suit. He's warped his mind so much he thinks he is uh, like like uh, Spring Bonnie almost. So he only talks while he's wearing it when he's in his William Afton mode. So like... It's one of those things where I don't know if that's necessarily the same in the movie, but something like an explanation like that, that could have just been like, oh, here's why William likes the suit. Here's why he's like this a little bit. Just a little bit more would have been very helpful. And as far as the line itself, I always come back. It did feel incredibly stilted. I think I understand that they need to have him say that. But I think that it needed, like, in the script, it needed to be built up to a little bit more. Because where it is, like, it's a, it's built up dramatically. But as far as dialogue goes, it's very out of nowhere. Whereas I think it would have been better instead of just, like, I always come back, dies. It probably would have been better if it, it, it was the end of, like, a small monologue. Of just, like, you think you can, I, I made you. You think you can unmake me. You think you can kill me. You, you can't get rid of me. I always come back. You know what I mean? Like something to build up to that line would have made that line feel less stilted, in my opinion. And that's not Matthew Lillard's fault. He, um, he he said that line very well. He delivered that scene very well. I think this is more of a screenplay issue. Um, that being said, going back to the uh, good things I liked about the movie. Um, oh, and pie to your question. I have no idea. We, we've, uh, and we'll get into this later. I'm so, so, so curious why William Afton went all the way to Nebraska to kidnap a random kid. So we will get into that. Um, but as far as going back to the movie and its quality, um, I think the emotional stakes were really good. And I actually really... I know this was controversial, and this was a lot of people's like make or break with the movie. I really liked the fort scene. I I think it was really good characterization of the animatronics to have them being a little silly. You know, have them acting like kids. Um, It kind of makes the whole horror a little bit more tragic, where like it's very clear these animatronics aren't just vicious monsters. They're hurt and scared children, you know? Um, that are being manipulated by a serial killer. Uh, So I I think the fort scene, while a little silly, I think it was good because it was a little silly. Um, So moving on to the lore of the movie, I feel like this is a good time to do that. Um, I think I want to start with the location. I want to focus on three main areas, I feel like, and that's the locations of the movie the characters of the movie and then specifically Garrett. So we'll start with the locations, because this is kind of quick. Cause it's less a lore thing and more of just like a, hmm, that's that's weird kind of moment. Um I think a lot of us going into it was like, oh yeah, this is gonna be in Hurricane Utah, like every other FNAF media. So it was kind of interesting when we saw the Nebraska poster and I was like, that's weird. And then it was like, well, if we're not we're probably not in Nebraska because that Nebraska poster is like novel and like a weird point. So because of that, um, like I, we can also, we're not in Nebraska. We get pretty much confirmation we're not in Nebraska f- in a few different directions. So I believe it was Hyperdroid on Twitter was the first person I saw notice this. But the court documents that get handed to Michael uh, have a link for mncourts.com. So that would be minnesotacourts.com. So I think that's probably our strongest evidence of a location. But I do still hesitate Only because it's a document and I don't know how much of the document was created for the movie and how much of the document was a stock asset that they modified for the movie. You know what I mean? So I do hesitate there a little bit, Um, but I think that is our strongest evidence for a location. Other pieces of evidence for location for the movie... Um, there's the GFPD cop car. And again, with a cop car specifically, we have to ask, okay, how much of this cop car was edited for the movie or how much of it was just the cop car they bought? But if it is edited for the movie, people did note that GFPD could be Granite Falls Police Department and Granite Falls is a location in Minnesota. So again, two for two for Minnesota. Now, I was uh, my my big hangup was kind of the giant map in William Afton's office, or I guess Steve Raglan's office. I should have said up front. Um, let me, let me make it. I'm just going to make this the cold open, even though it's not a good cold open. We're talking about spoilers in this podcast. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, you've been warned. Um, and I'll just make that the cold open. I was like, oh, I'll have to remind myself to, I'm not going to remember to edit, to record and edit a separate spoiler alert. So that's the cold open now. Um, <laughs> but, um, the, the map in uh, Steve Raglan's office was of specific interest to me because the way they framed the office, the conversation was pointed towards that map the whole time. Where, so a little bit of rule of filmmaking when you're shooting a conversation, you never want to cross the eye line of the conversation. So if there's two people and you're back and forthing the shot, Unless you're doing something specific, if you want a understandable dialogue shot, you stay on one line of their eye contact. So either you back and forth it here or you back and forth it here. Once you go here and then go here, it confuses the audience. Now, you can do that if you're trying to do something specific, which they sort of do a little bit. When uh, William goes to get coffee. But even then, they're technically still on the left side. They're just a lot more angled because they're doing a different shot. Um, So because of that, they have to pick, okay, what side do we want it to face? And I don't know if it's just a filmmaking thing of like maybe the office was only a three-walled office and they were going in from that side. Um, but regardless, as a set, you know, in a movie, they choose everything that's in there. And the way the dialogue is shot is that map is in almost every shot, if not just out of focus. So the map felt important to me. I couldn't locate it. Somebody did. Um, let me actually credit where credits do find their YouTube comment username. So the comment was from KLC Men's 8457 um, who recognized that map as Oklahoma City. And I checked it. That, that 100% is the district map for Oklahoma City. So then the question becomes why, right? So is, is the movie implying that it actually takes place in Oklahoma City? So the question becomes why, right? Because it's a matter of is that telling the truth and is that office literally located in Oklahoma City? There's, I think there's three options. Either that, there's the option that maybe William Afton is from Oklahoma City and he likes that area possibly, then the third option, which is also very likely, is again, how much of this movie is specifically crafted and how much of this movie, like all movies, did they buy set design? And if they bought set design for that office, a map, an unlabeled map that never says Oklahoma City, it just happens to be the map of Oklahoma City, makes a lot of sense. We're like, they, they wouldn't. In, like, any other movie, they wouldn't expect people to be like, oh, this is we need to figure out where this map is of, and it's now important. But I don't know. This is also, they realize it's a FNAF movie. You know, Scott was heavily involved with the process, and there's other scenes where, like, a small detail in the background is very important. So it's interesting to consider what is and isn't purposeful. Um, Then there's the fourth option someone in my comments brought up that, like, it's, it's very Scott to include hints to two vastly different locations to then just confuse the, the audience, not to confuse the audience, but to like, to confuse the theorists on what the actual location is. Um, regardless, uh, I think a big question that I had immediately after is mirrored by uh, this question by Jacob P. Him. Thank you for your question. In the movie, why do you think Afton took Garrett? If Afton's signature kill was at the pizzeria's, why is he suddenly kidnapping kids in the middle of the woods in a different state than giving a token, the toy, to his daughter? Um, Yeah, that's a big one. And I feel like the majority of what, of reasons why we'll get into when we talk about the characters and Garrett specifically. But I, I wanted to bring up this question now while it's relevant while we're talking about locations. Just because that's a great point, right? If, if we're in Minnesota or if we're in Oklahoma... Why would Afton go all the way to Nebraska to capture some random kid? So I think that definitely shows that Garrett and Mike's family is much more important than this first movie is implying. And that's not a fault of this. I don't think that's a bad thing. It's what I would call like a good mystery for a movie where it doesn't affect the central plot and it doesn't leave the central plot feeling confused. But it's one of those things that you think about it, you go, that is weird. Why would he go all the way to Nebraska? And then a second movie can come in and be like, hey, there's actually more to this family dynamic than you know. You know, so it's moments like that that I think are really good pieces of mystery that don't leave the audience feeling confused as much. Uh, you're getting cough up, Riley, because my throat really hurts because I'm still sick. So uh, deal with it. Anyway, um, I'll try not to do any gross. Ma- I- I'll try to do as little gross mouth sounds as I possibly can. Um, but I think now's a good time to move on to the characters and names. So immediately, right, I think that Mike Schmidt is his real name. I've seen some people wondering if he's an Afton. I know in the games, Michael is William Afton's son. And even to an extent, it's nearly confirmed, not fully confirmed, um, it's nearly confirmed that... Michael, Mike Schmidt is a fake name used by Michael Afton at the FNAF 1 location. I know I went into this movie assuming it was going to be a Michael Afton, but after seeing this movie, I do not think he is an Afton. I do not think that is Michael Afton. I think Mike and Garrett are not related to William Afton in any way. And realistically, I think that for a couple reasons. One of them, the way William reacts to Mike's name, I think is super interesting, right? In the first scene we see with William and Mike, he's going over his case file and he goes, Mike, sh- sh-. And then he pauses. He looks at Mike. He leans in and he like stares at him for a second and then sits back, just, you want some coffee? And it's like whole demeanor changes. And I, I think that was like screaming at the audience, like, hey, Steve Raglin isn't who we think he is, and he knows who Mike is. So, like, the fact, and, and it's very specific in the order, right? He sees Mike Schmidt. He sees the name Mike Schmidt. He pauses on the name Mike Schmidt. Then he looks at Michael's face to see if he recognizes him. And because of that order, I feel like it's he saw the name Schmidt and went, no shot, this is the Schmidt I know and he double checked saw that it was and then he's like I need to get him inside Freddy's now. So then the question is why, right? Like what is the deal between Steve and Mike? Um I don't necessarily know. I say I said Steve. What's the deal between Will and Mike? What what is their problem? And it's mainly that I don't know because we just don't have a lot of evidence for it. I have a feeling, right? Like I've got a pretty strong feeling of what I think the deal is. Um and I, I, I think it's actually encapsulated pretty well by this question, so we'll move on to this question. This is by Charky, he, him, thank you for your question. To be completely honest, I tried to connect the movie lore directly to the game lore by attempting to draw parallels, which I admit might be a bit of a stretch. I believe that Vanessa is the movie stand-in for Mike Afton, and that the Crying Child is yet to be revealed as her brother. I assume the Crying Child exists in the movie lore, though there's no real evidence, and that he dies the same way he does in the games. However, this time, instead of Michael, Vanessa was responsible for the bite of 83. This is why I think that during William's confrontation with Vanessa, he says something along the lines of, you started this. So, yeah, it was like, this is the mess that helped me clean up the mess that you c- created, or something like that. Um, consequently, I also believe that the Schmitz are the movie equivalents of Henry's children and family. So, we'll get to that first half, because I do agree with a lot of that as well. But... Bro, I should not be recording this early. I literally just stood up to like fix my apron, and it took me like a minute to retie it because I kept just doing it wrong. I am way too EP for this. Anyway, <laughs> um, I I will get to that first. Have that question because I do agree with a lot of it, but I think the main part of it that I I, I think what I want to talk about right now, I do think the Schmitz are the the uh, Henry Emily family, right? I I think in the movie, what they're going for here is that Mike is Henry's son. Mike and Garrett are Henry's children. And that Henry Schmidt is going to be revealed in the second or third movie to be the co-creator of the Fazbear brand with William Afton. I even mentioned in my um, Easter egg video that possibly Mike's dad or that mechanic we see in the background is Henry. And upon looking at it again, I think they might just be the same person, right? Like, I could see the mechanic in the background being Mike's dad and just, like, he's in the background. Um, And I think where I'm at right now, to me, that's, like, the only good reason for William Afton to go multiple states away to kidnap a random kid, right? Is if in this continuity, um, William tries to get back at Henry like he always does, and this time they're camping and he just scoops up Garrett, probably kills him later. I don't know. But that is another point of contention now that I think about it. Why does he kidnap Garrett and not just kill him, right? Like, that seems very strange. The fact that we don't know if Garrett is dead or not is very interesting to me. And I think a point in, in that favor is that, like, Abby talks to all these ghosts. She never mentions talking to Garrett. So Garrett might just not be a ghost yet. Um, now, granted, William does say he killed his. William does directly say he kills him. So I do think Garrett probably is dead. But I would say there's argu- ar- there's evidence to argue otherwise. But I think the line from William was like, first I killed your brother. Now I kill you. Symmetry, my friend or whatever. So I, I do assume Garrett is dead. Um, that being said, man, Garrett. Garrett is such a question mark for me. I really think, I think if Garrett's presence is in this movie at all, I wonder if Garrett is the crying child. And that's why I disagree with this uh, question, with your question, Sharky, is that it's me in the office definitely feels like it's reaching out to Mike. And if it's reaching out to Mike, I feel like that means it would have to be Garrett more than anything. And Mike even says he feels closer to Garrett while he's at Freddy's. So... If he feels close to Garrett while he's there and that it's me was for Mike, I feel like Garrett's trying to reach out to him. And if Garrett's trying to reach out to him like that, that's very crying child to me. Um, That being said, my crackpot theory, and I don't have a lot of evidence for this, I I just kind of feel like Garrett's possessing Balloon Boy. And I think that explains why even though Balloon Boy isn't in this movie, He has three dedicated jump scares for his toy that like keeps reaching out to Mike seemingly where like one of them, the first one I was like, okay, maybe it was just left in the locker. But then again, in the supply closet where it's just sitting there looking at him, it's like, okay, something is moving this toy. So I could be crazy. I could be wrong. And then you look at like the, and the mid credits jump scare, like bonus scene with Corey Kenshin again. And we have, a, a taxi door open and shut. And then the balloon boy toys in there like that. It's probably just a gag, but that feels like a ghost doing that. Sorry for my thoughts are a little disjointed. I keep taking like two minute breaks to just like collect my thoughts. Cause I'm very EP. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I do think that Michael and Garrett are the stand-ins for the Henry's. So uh, for Henry's family. So I think in the second and third movie, we'll see more about that. And then as far as Vanessa and William, I don't know if there is a crying child. I don't know. I I only say that because like, I really feel like Garrett has been acting as the crying child with the whole it's me thing. But then again, if Garrett is the Henry's, then I could see Garrett being the puppet, Um, which we don't really see in the movie, uh, at least as far as I can tell. But I could see that, Um, especially with the comfort. I think there's a lot of hints to FNAF 2 the game as being a big part of the sequel with the music box at the end of the credits that come find me in that FNAF 2 TTS voice. Like, I think there's something is happening with that. And if so, if the puppets involved in the second movie, I could see that being Garrett. Um, but I definitely feel like one of the big things we get, and this kind of connect is like how the lore is beginning to connect to the games. Um, And actually, uh, this will answer our fourth question, right? Yes. So, uh, this one will be our fourth and final question, but we'll still be talking for a bit. This is from snail. He him. Thank you for your question. Watched the FNAF movie last night and I was surprised and also a little disappointed disappointed interesting to see that they made vanessa and afton for the movie do you think that this confirms that v- vanessa a in the games is vanessa afton and that bill a is william like how some people theorized back when fnaf ar came out i don't think it confirms anything um and i do and this isn't a knock to you snail uh thank you for your question a pet peeve of mine people have been using confirms very aggressively um in this theory space we're like I think suggests is a much more neutral and safer word to be using in the theory space. I'm not trying to police how people talk. Don't get me wrong. Like you can say whatever the hell you want. I'm just like some person on the internet do, do what you want. But to me, I really dislike the word confirms because I feel like we've used, I feel like this community uses confirms to mean suggest, right? They'll see like one people will see like one detail and be like, Oh, this confirms that. no, Often this will suggest that and like act as evidence for that. But the word confirm, the definition of confirm is literally like it proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is true. And I'm going to be really honest with you. In the FNAF lore, there is, I would say maybe less than 10% of the major story is confirmed. So the whenever people have been using the word confirm for like small details like that, I dislike that personally. not a knock on you now. This is just a little a gripe that I wanted to get out there. Um I think it suggests that Vanessa might be an Afton. I don't think i i I don't think the Vanessa in in, a, in the games is an Afton because I don't think the timeline works there, right? We know William dies in spring lock accident like somewhere in the 90s early 2000s like vaguely and Vanessa seems like in her mid-20s so if William dies in like the mid-90s right then she would have had by the time of security breach she would have to be 30 or 40 which I guess is technically possible but it seems unlikely what but to be fair it's one of those things where I don't think it matters much specifically because in security breach We definitely get the sense that Vanessa, either through Vanny or otherwise, is kind of like becoming William Afton's daughter. So even if she isn't, she is acting as though she is. And that's the important part. So whether or not she is an Afton, I think it's important that in the games, she's becoming an Afton. Um, Because I don't don't personally think Vanessa is Elizabeth or like an Elizabeth bot or even necessarily haunted by Elizabeth. But I think whatever is pulling the strings... Uh, for Afton and security breach is I, I do very much believe something is trying to recreate Williams family and they're using Vanessa to turn her into Elizabeth. um. But I, I don't think that's I don't think that's what the movie is trying to tell us what I think the movie is telling us as far as the FNAF lore like the games go is a few things one. I do think this is suggesting that Henry had two kids in the games. Henry had Charlotte and Henry had Sammy. I think that's I think it's suggesting Henry had two kids. I also very strongly think the relationship we see between between William and Vanessa is reflective of what we see between William and Michael early on in the franchise, where I think this is suggesting that Michael as has been theorized by many people that Michael does take more of a I guess, villain approach earlier in the timeline by doing things for William because of his manipulation of him. Um, Like Sister Location, for example, you get confirmation like, I did what you told me to, I went and did this for you. And I think that's coming, I think we now have evidence because of the movie that that might be coming from a place of manipulation where after the death of the crying child, William tells Michael what he does and blames Michael for it. Like, oh, because of you, I had to go kill those kids. Because of you, now these things are getting haunted. And because of you, you have to go fix it because the fun times killed your sister. You know, so I think that line in the final confrontation of help me clean up the mess that you created, I think that's showing us how William treated Michael and how William controlled Michael, um, at least up until he gets scooped. Because I do think once Michael dies and comes back, he's definitely much more uh, brave, much more like willing and brave towards facing William. As far as any other lore goes for um, how the movie connects to the games, I do think it's very interesting that the movie's also double downing, or I guess doubling down on. The ghost interpretations of alone together where the idea that like ghosts will affect your dreams, then they can affect things around you um, and that their ghosts are not necessarily like malevolent. They're just they don't have their memories and they need to be helped to be reminded Um And we see this in the books, we see this in Alone Together, and we're seeing this again in the movie. So I definitely think this is the direction the story wants to go with its paranormal stuff. So I'm excited to see where that goes. I think that's really compelling. Um, I was going into this movie thinking that part of the lore we were going to get for the games is uh, evidence to suggest that FNAF, like, further evidence to suggest that FNAF 1 takes place long after the restaurant closes. But I don't think so. Um, I, at least I don't think that's what the movie is telling us, because um, the movie takes place in the year 2000, and I know for a fact I know for a fact Fnaf one takes place earlier than that. We're talking 93, 98, somewhere around that area. So I don't think necessarily the movie is trying to tell us that Fnaf one takes place uh, long after the restaurant closes. Um, something that I think lore wise could have e- expanded on in the movie to make audiences feel a little bit less confused is the why right like we get like oh william's a bad man he killed five kids and stuffed them into the suits we don't get a lot of reason why and granted that's probably because they want to reveal that in the second or third movie but we could have had a little bit more information on that because it feels very like what the hell okay so he's just a weirdo you know um and then specifically about william i think something that would have made his presence a lot cooler there's a lot of wide shots in this movie especially when the animatronics are attacking and i i really think having just little glimpses of spring bonnie walking through the background in different parts could have gone a long way to not only make a really cool easter egg for people to find but to have william's presence be a lot more pronounced like during the break-in right i think we see a perfect example of this happening that that i think could have been happening for william throughout much more of the movie and that's with uh during the break-in and i point this on this easter egg video it's not an easter egg it's just a really cool moment when carl is in the kitchen and the cupcake starts messing with him to like get him to look in the fridge the first time the cupcake makes noise points at Garrett with the spinning fan to the like exterior hallway behind him. And as we're focused on Carl going, I think I said Garrett as we're focused on Carl going through, going towards the fridge in the background, Chica walks behind that fan through the hallway. That's a great moment. Things very, very small minor things like that for William, I think would have been so good. Like, early in the confrontation, you know, when the when they're running and like one of them's hiding and like Foxy's standing right there, if like 10 feet back, you just saw like a glimpse of Spring Bonnie walking between like one room to another, huge just like a lot of things like that, I think would have been really, really cool. A really nice touch. And would have had William felt like more feel like more of a presence in the movie, you know? And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the YouTuber cameos, right? So we had the Employee of the Month board that had a lot of YouTubers on it. And then we had two on-screen main YouTuber cameos. Uh, I know there was going to be three, but because of uh, filming for Iron Lung, Mark could not make it. So they were like, oh, maybe next time. Um, which, by the way, I'm super excited for Iron Lung. I cannot wait to see that. Um, but we had uh, a Matt cameo and a Corey Coryx Kenshin uh, cameo. I I liked them both. I thought they were, I, I I did think the YouTuber cameos made a lot of sense for how like Let's Play centric and how like YouTube centric this franchise is. Like you you gotta pay homage to that. I think I do have a little bit of a controversial take on it though. Um, I think the Corey X Kenshin cameo was perfect. I think it was just the right amount of screen time, just the right amount of dialogue. Um, It didn't draw, it it felt very natural, um, but it was still a really good cameo for the fans. And now this isn't a knock on MatPat at all. I think MatPat's cameo went on like one line of dialogue too long. Just like one, like five seconds too long. And maybe that's just because I've watched Game Theory a lot more than I've watched Corey Kenshin. But when I was watching it, I was like, this is a long cameo. And it just felt a little weird. That's all. I liked it. Don't get me wrong. I loved it. And the theater, like the theater went crazy for it. But I was like, this is going on like a little long. I don't know. If it, it felt weird. Maybe it's just because I'm more used to seeing Map hat's face. <laughs> I think that's I think that's probably what it is. And I was like, oh wait, that's the YouTuber I watch. Whereas like I've watched Corey Kenshin's stuff, but I don't watch him as much. So that might that it might just be that, uh, to be honest, (laughs) Um, but I really liked both cameos and it was so I'll tell you what was weird two Easter eggs for Sparky. That was wild. So I, I mentioned this in the Easter egg video. If anybody doesn't know, one of the earliest hoaxes for FNAF was Sparky the dog. Right. And where it was a fake animatronic that people were saying was like real and it wouldn't harm you. It's just like a secret. Uh, wasn't real. Sparky is now real though. Like Sparky is definitely canon where like the restaurant that Matt Pat is the waiter in is named Sparky's. And I was like, maybe that's just like a, a nod or like a, something super minor. And then later in the movie, like very soon later in the movie in a back room, there's a disassembled Sparky animatronic. So I'm like, Oh shit sparky's real and canon now that's wild um what else what else i'm trying to think of what else to talk about the movie i guess that's kind of all my thoughts on it i hope this is a good length usually i can look at the timer and be like oh we're hitting about 50 minutes that means it's probably about 45 minutes but i took a lot of breaks in this recording so i have no idea how long this is i hope we're i i think we're about 40 minutes but we'll see um I could talk more about the movie, but I feel like any more, and it's just going to be me talking about Easter eggs, which like I already filmed and made a 25 minute video just on Easter eggs that took me like 30 hours to do and drained me mentally and physically. Um, So uh, I I don't, I, I don't know what else to talk about. So I guess we'll end it there. So this has been the Freddy Fazbear pizza podcast. It is on YouTube, YouTube music, Uh, uh, iTunes, Spotify, uh, Amazon music and nowhere else because I'm lazy. Um, but I mean, that's five platforms. You figure it out on your own. Uh, if you want your questions or theories talked about on the podcast or any potential collabs, reach out to Freddie pizza podcast at gmail.com. It is in the description so you can copy paste because it's a pain to type and I don't want you to have to misspell it and then not get something read. Thank you everybody today for your questions. Um, and I guess we'll call it there. So thank you for watching the Freddy Fazbear Pizza Podcast where the pizza abilities are endless. I hope to enjoy your future patronage. Bye-bye for now.